You're listening to a Comics XF podcast. Ho, 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 everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your Holly and Jolly X-Men podcast, where we rank every... St- I'm, I'm not doing the accent. I'm not doing an accent. We rank every story from X... We rank every... Adam? Adam? I'm Adam. We rank every story from... Yes, Adam. That's Adam. He's on the podcast. I'm the bad boy of X-Men podcasting, Zach Jenkins. Merry Christmas. Zach, it is the end of the year. It is our last new episode of 2023. You're allowed to be a little, uh, you know, kerfuffled. It's totally fine, you know? This is hitting at a long week for me outside of reading X-Men comics, which I've got to be honest with people. I do other things. (laughs) We know. (laughs) You know, what we we should do... Well, I hope people understand that that is not what we do the majority of our time, but, uh, you know, we spend... When we started this podcast, I'm not 100% convinced that if you, like, counted up hours in the day, that reading X-Men comics was not my (laughs) largest non-sleep, non-doing-my-job-related activity, and it rivaled my job. Mm. I was married with children at the time. Yeah, well, now now the dynamics have changed, buddy. So, you know what we should do? We should celebrate by just, you know, let's light a big old Christmas tree on fire or something, you know, and like let it burn. Just, just sounds like a good time. We do. We do. And that's how that's how my wife and children and I will be celebrating our Christmas this year <laughs> is by setting something on fire. Uh, Love it. And enjoying it in the uh, in the tradition of our ancestors. Hmm. I like this. I like this. Now, we do have a story that involves fiery trees, uh, thanks to one of our patrons, right? It, I mean, the patron would be St. Nicholas, the patron saint oh, of Christmas. I love it. But, All right, so these are these are Santa Claus requests? Yes, uh, Famous Mutant <laughs> Santa Claus uh, did request these. And if you want to be like Santa Claus, you can go over to patreon.com slash Adam, reach deep down into your hearts and pocketbooks, and toss a couple of coins into our coffers, and our coffers... They could be fuller this year, but who's couldn't at the end of every, at the end of every year, at the end of every Christmas season. So if you've got like a Scrooge size hoard of cash and you really want to request X-Men comics for us to rank, let's go. Uh, But first we got to, we got to do the ones that we're already doing. Yeah, we got a fresh year coming up. So get your requests in, Uh, but we are going to start with Santa's first request, which is a comic from earlier this year. Uh, wow. Like 2023. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. This is, this is from the third issue came out in the third issue came out in January. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. I'm not making this up. This is dark web. And we already have another Spider-Man event. (laughs) Yes, Zach, we are already in a gang war. Uh, so it's just an annual thing just happening, man. I know there's a lot of bad actors saying that comics... Nope. We cut that out of the last episode. We're cutting it out of this one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so Dark Web X-Men. An event we all remember is the Dark Web. Adam, do you know how to explain the Dark Web? Um, I know how to explain Dark Web X-Men because it's the only part of Dark Web that I read. Uh, because Hold on, I... you didn't read all of Dark Web? <laughs> no, of course not. I do not You didn't care. read Dark Web Dawn and Dark Web Dusk? No, absolutely not. I do not read. So wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, Adam. Hold on, Adam. Adam, hold on, Adam. Adam, Adam, hold on, Adam. I'm still here. Hold on, still here. Adam, are you telling me that you don't know about Rec Rap? I do know about Rec Rap. I do. Do you know about Hollow's Eve? I do know about Hollow's Eve, though I was convinced for a very long time because I was there when they made the announcement at Comic Con that it was. Mary Jane, uh, but it is not. Now they know the, the difference, and they've already made an action figure, which is pretty impressive given the timeline. Okay, look, I'm going to make fun of Dark Web as a bad event and a lot of things in it as bad for the next little bit. I'm going to say, Hollow's Eve, one of the best, like, ideas 
Marvel has done in a spell uh, because she's Ben Riley's girlfriend. Nobody cares about Ben Riley. And anyone who wants to at me, you can't. You can't find me on the internet. I'm a phantom. You don't know. I'm there's there's a void, a chasm where I used to be. I loved I love that you did that because I was just about to say, do you mean chasm? Um, but I, but I know, I know. Anyway, she has a Madeline Pryor gave her a magic bag of Halloween masks that she could put so on, great. like classic Halloween masks and get Halloween powers. Recrap is Bizarro, but Spider Man, uh, and that's oddly delightful. It's really fun. So despite Dark Web being um, a really dumb idea, you know, which is basically Inferno 2, but it's Spider-Man, which it's it's Inferno 2 in that the idea is let's take Spider-Man's twin who's kind of evil sometimes and not really and mix it with Madeline Pryor, Jean Grey's twin and Zeb Wells' favorite character to ever exist. Yeah, I mean, this is right after Hellion's wraps. Um, we've already had uh, Vita do the limbo switchover between between Eliana and Madeline. So now we're we're primed for for this to happen. And um, it, what I want to just give it credit for is that I think that most of the people involved in this event know that it's a dumb, dumb thing, and are trying their best to have a really good time while they're making it. Um, and I think that um, things like Hallow's Eve and Rec Rap are good examples of that. But again, I'm only speaking from this particular comic book's vantage point, which takes the Inferno stuff and does some really funny things with it and does still manage to come out the other side with a pretty emotional climax that I think works. So here's what I'll say. Neither Hallow's Eve nor Rec Rap are in this comic. No. And, so that's a negative for this comic right away. A positive for this comic is Chasm. Ben Riley is also not in this comic. And nope. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest, y'all. No one is going to convince me that the Clone Saga was good or worth reading or anything like that. And no one's going to convince me that they are assassinating Ben Riley's character by making him bad. Uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm not taking it. <laughs> no, famously not. And it's weird that people are trying to convince us that he was. So I'm not coming at this from that angle. I want to be very clear because Spider-Man okay. fans scare me. Yeah, yeah. Chasm's bad and Ben Riley's bad and everyone involved who maybe they know this story's dumb, but they're still the ones who did it. They should feel bad. That's fine. I, I What I appreciate here is that we have Jerry Duggan uh, with art by Rod Reese and um, Phil Noto. And we just have three issues where we basically have two things going on. We have the uh, X-Men fighting, you know, anthropomorphized objects, some of which are really fun, which I want to get into. And then we also have this uh, emotional conflict, which I mentioned earlier about Madeline wanting her memories of baby Nathan back uh, from Jean. And uh, I think we should start with the former in which the first issue has one of my favorite creations um, that's in this book, which is the Rockefeller Christmas tree, which gets pooped on by a demon and comes to life and the amazing friends have to defeat it. And it's just funny. You're, you're older than me. So you care about Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Is that, I do is not. That right? I've not ever watched an episode of this until about a month ago. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Dr. Anna Papard and I were watching, uh, the x-men episodes of amazing friends the one with thunderbird turns into a bear uh yes yes the one where um xavier for some reason has like a doctor strange like closet it's the it's the x-men adventure and uh uh what's it called uh uh, a firestar is born yes the firestar episode was absolutely bananas um so no i don't care about those things because they weren't on tv when i was little I, I also truly do not care about it. And I know people are, I've said this before. I know people are trying to make me care about Firestar. It ain't it's not, working. It's not happening. I, she, <laughs> she's never getting over for me. I just, I'm just like, there's more interesting redheads in this comic than you. I'm sorry. It, it's totally fine. And I think that Jerry's even teasing about it, right? Cause there's a couple of lines about, well, our power sets don't work. Like we should never team up again. 
And, uh, you know, we were been having this conversation in the comics XF Slack. Dan Grote famously did a, a piece about the, the two sides of Jerry Duggan. And this is the side that I appreciate, you know, because when Jerry tries to do super serious stuff, I, I it's, it doesn't, doesn't land for me. Usually, um, here he's just getting to kind of pull on his Deadpool, you know, goofiness. And I think it works really well. The, the jokes land. Well, I think what works more for me, because I, I think some of the jokes are a little overwritten, but that is very much a my stylistic uh, approach to comedy versus other people's. I get it. Comedy's going to be different for different people. Fine. I think Rod Reese uh, friggin' kills it on doing funny comedic stuff and great character expressions. Like, super good work. Love that. Yeah. That's awesome in this, yeah. in this I mean, first issue. There's, there's even, you know, little gags like Havoc realizing that he's in the torn up Mark Silvestri Simonson, you know, Inferno gown and, and, you know, Cyclops being uh, held captive by a crown of puppies. Like there are little things in there that Reese and Phil Noto do a really nice job with that I like a lot. Weird that they couldn't keep one artist for three issues. You know, it's, it's one of these things where I think it's just a timing uh, thing where they want to get this. I don't know how quickly these were coming out. Is it like, I, I mean, they were, no, it was, uh, well, actually, no, it was the 14th, the 28th and the 18th. So, I mean, they had to get them quick, but yeah. like, also they're the ones who set the schedule. They, they, they can figure uh, that out. That's their job. You, you know how it is. I'm, I, I'm not, I, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let Marvel off the hook for a thing Marvel did. <laughs> I think that. Uh, Reese and Noto complement each other pretty well. They do. Um, they do. And, and so, this is, I mentioned this in the cable episode we did not that long ago. This is actually a Noto I really like. Like, yeah. Noto, Noto hits his sweet spot in this, which I think is good. Yeah. Doing a really nice job. And, you know, I do think, like I mentioned, it's not just all of the Forge fighting mailboxes stuff that that is silly and fun. This third issue which really is this confrontation between Madeline and Jean. And it's a fight, but it's also one that Jean is just like, dude, we, we actually don't have to fight. Like I, it, that we get a huge reveal at the end of this, that she was actually the one that pushed for Madeline's resurrection, not Scott. And Madeline is very taken aback by this and is, you know, very pleasantly surprised to learn that Jean's more than willing to share these memories with her. And I think it works really well. I, you don't have my, I have my qualms with it and I'll tell you why. And this is, yeah. again, this is Walk a me thing. This. I don't know why we need everything to be nice and clean and everyone being friends and everyone happy and everyone being perfect. I think it's fine. If Jean's like, actually, I don't like you. I think you're, I get what you went through. That wasn't fair. You've been kind of a jerk to me. So I don't like you. I, cause that's Gene in X factor. Like the stories yes. that are coming out, Gene is not nice. No, she's complex. And mm -hmm. one of the things I don't like, and I see this a lot in Duggan's stuff on X-Men, you know, recently and over time, like wants to make it very clean, black and white, good, bad, and not as messy as I like things. I like it when, like, it's complicated. I don't want Madeline Pryor and Jean Grey to go and get lattes. You know? Like, I want it to be messy. And I, I think, think that's... Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I, I don't think, know... I think it's, it's weird because, that. like, Madeline does, a, Madeline does a demonic invasion, and they're like, actually, honey, it's okay. It's okay. You did nothing wrong. Yeah, that... I, maybe it is pushing a little bit too far in there. I, another reason that I do like this issue is that it dovetails very nicely with the Jean Grey mini that Louis Simonson uh, wrote, in which you have a similar dynamic going on, except instead of it actually being Madeline, it's just the internal memories of that character that she absorbed back into herself and that she's having this this conflict with. Oh, okay. But can, I, can, I, can I tell you why I like that Jean Grey mini better? Yeah. Which isn't what we're talking about. Uh, it's because at the end of that Jean Grey mini and the entire part of the, the entire like thought of that Jean Grey mini is Louis Simonson's Jean Grey saying, actually, no, I did everything right. And screw all of you for second guessing me. I'm the best because that's a Jean thing. That's such a Jean thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I appreciate that she is trying to restore this chunk of Madeline's history that is in many ways stolen from her. You know, I, I, I think this works. I, I appreciate what you're saying about the idea of it being a little too clean. Um, but I think it's also trying very hard to be a bridge between what Zeb was doing on Hellions and then what we were going to get in the five issues of dark X-Men that just came out. You know, I, I, I think you may be putting a little more into it than they were in terms of like how this, you know, the timing of everything, but in general, I see where you're coming from. And I want to be clear. I've read bad comics. Like I know this is not a bad comic. There's specific things on this comic. I don't like, and the artistry specifically with Reese and Noto push it up because the visuals are good in this. Like, that sells the story for me a lot more than the dialogue and the plotting does. I think it's gorgeous. It looks great on every single page. There's some really, really striking visuals. And, you know, it's a it's a nice mix of the things that I like that Jerry does. You know, I, I feel like he tries in other cases to do this jokey slash emotional stuff to lesser effect. You know, like the most recent example I can give is the uncanny Avengers book from fall of X, which, you know, got why was, a little why too was treacly. In its... a, why was that a comedy book? Why yeah. Was, I, why I did, get it because that's kind of how that he was. Book have bits? Well, he was kind of doing that with his original uncanny run, which I really liked, you know, that, that uncanny Avengers. Okay. Run. Yes. But that book wasn't, wasn't spiraling out of the idea that, Oh, a genocide just, like yeah, happened right. again and every every good thing was lost uh so you know what do we what do we do with that well we say the captain america's the best. i'm not i'm not talking about it we're not doing it it's all right fine. We don't, listen we don't, we don't have to litigate all these other series i would we like don't to i'm just mad at the flag smasher adam you know that <laughs> i know i know i know but what i think we can both be happy about is all of new york booing Iceman, Firestar, and Spider-Man for basically <laughs> incinerating the Rockefeller Christmas tree and then encasing it in ice that won't melt till March. And having a I fire... have a question about that for you. Yeah. Actually, yeah. since you're an East Coast East Coast guy. Yeah. Do people in New York like the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree? Because I feel like if I lived in New York, I would be annoyed by it. I, can't, I don't know why I feel that way. I can't speak for all of New York. I will say I don't think there's many people that have speak ill or think ill about the Rockefeller Christmas tree. It is a I'm asking national, that. I'm gonna ask national that treasure. to people from New York. <laughs> I'm gonna ask all the people of New York, hey, do you think this tree sucks? I I doubt that. I mean, but I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't live there. I'm not a midtown Manhattanite. So uh I will say from my spot in New Jersey, it's delightful. Yeah, but you've been there. Of course, many times. But uh you know, I just love the idea that, you know, the firemen yelling, stop helping. <laughs> it's just, it's really funny to me. So, all right. We've talked about this one for a good 20 minutes. We should probably try to rank this on our big old Christmas list of naughty and nice comics. Um, yeah, that's a th naughty and nice. Is that what we're doing now? That's fine. That makes sense. That's a Christmassy thing. Uh, <laughs> we're ranking them all, though, from best to worst. All of the X-Men stories that have ever existed. And do you know what road we're on, Adam? We are on the road to 5,000. No, 900. That's still, we that's got, a lot. We, we, we're we not eastbound and down yet. Uh, we are, we got a lot of trucking to go. No, well, we're on the road to 900 <laughs> because we've ranked 852 X-Men comics, which is too many. They, mm. They've made too many is they, the problem. And they just keep making them. They really do. Uh, <laughs> the best is Hox Pox. Uh, number 200 is X-23, Volume 3, 10 to 12, Touching Darkness. Uh, Amazing Nightcrawlers at 400. At 600 is the London Hellfire Club from Excalibur, 96 to 100. Polaris and Havoc's Wedding from Duncan X Men Sacred Vows is at 800. Love it. Uh, man, the Austin run. Sure is a thing. At least I'm never not thinking about it. That's... <laughs> Okay. That's the that's the thing. It's bad, but I'm fascinated by it. Anyway, 2099 World of Tomorrow is the worst X-Men story of all time. Uh, 
This is worse than Cable. Where did we put that Cable series? Or the first chunk of that Cable? That's a oh, 143. That's, that's in the hundreds. I was I was thinking lower. I was thinking maybe in I the mean, 300s. I mean, me too. Um, it's below the Magic Volume 2 with Amanda Sefton at 229. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think long shot's better than this at 346. Man, we really do have... Okay. I mean, yeah. Am I too low? Um, Am I too low? No, I'm just trying... I'm just looking at this. I would... I would probably put this above 356 X-Men The Exterminated, though. Oh, sure. Sure. But I don't think it's better than Bizarre Adventures 27 and 355. I think it's better... Then parts of Bizarre Adventures 27 is not better than the best parts of Bizarre Adventures 27. You know what, though? I don't know. Is it better than Wolverine Noir? Which I do like. Yeah, it probably is. It probably is. It's better than Ultimate Spider-Man Annual number one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's say below Bizarre Adventures because it's not better than the Gene or uh, Nightcrawler stories in that. It is better than the Iceman story in that. Yeah, probably. All right, so this is our new 356 Dark Web X Men definitely a hoot if you if you missed that earlier this year, and uh, listen if you want to read it you should read it. That's the thing. Here's the thing. I rag on comics a lot uh, recently because I I have gotten into my bitter old man stage of my life and I love it. <laughs> yeah, at your I'm ripe young thriving. age of thirty two. Don't worry about how old I am. Look at you, you whippersnapper. Look at me. I'm wearing a sweater. I'm drinking hot <laughs> cocoa out of a moose mug. I'm living my best <laughs> life. You truly are. Uh, our second Christmas story for the episode is one that serves as an epilogue to a long-standing classic in the canon, and that is Alex Ross and Kurt Busiek's Marvels. So... This was part of what, like a reprinting of these books that was coming out? No. So, yeah, okay. They did they did the director's cut, but what they were doing around this time, uh, they were doing a lot of Marvel's stuff. So they did a director's cut of Marvel's. They did, I want to say, three different series with the title Marvel's in it. A couple anthologies, some character-focused one-shots like that. That uh, the Jay edited in Tom Riley, oh, uh, right. Cyclops. That I'm I'm staring at a page from where some HVAC equipment falls and Cyclops has to save people. It was it. too. It was too me to not buy it. Also, Tom Riley's art was super cheap at the time. Uh, Love this for you doing that. Oh, but it. Uh, have you seen the page? I'll send you the page. It's great. <laughs> it's great. It is. It is. And this is getting off tra- track, but. Of the two podcasts that probably most inspired me starting this podcast, I have pages from their writer, the writer's X-Men books on opposite sides of the entranceway to my office. Oh, I love that. That's great. It's it's great. It is, it is great. I've got an X-Men 92 page uh, on the other side as well. Anyway, I say all that to say, yeah, they were, they were like making Marvels a thing. Actually, they did a radio or a podcast. Like an audio drama podcast at the same time, too. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty good. I listened to it in an afternoon. I was like, okay, I vibe with this. So epilogue is literally just that. It is an epilogue to the original Kurt Busiak, Alex Ross uh, book. But it's a just a short. Um, it's about 14 pages long. And it takes place at exactly the moment you might think it would um it at exactly a point that we've had christmas stories happen before this is uh the return of the sentinels on christmas for the uncanny x-men which i think makes sense because if you think of where marvel's ends it ends with the death of gwen stacy more right. or less like right there in 1970s which thematically makes a huge amount of sense uh narratively with what Marvel was and where Marvel changed. It makes sense. Also makes sense that you don't have the big stuff in the seventies, the way you had it in the sixties. Yeah. Uh, and it's very interesting that what's the, what's the big turnaround point. And I think kind of, I don't want to say it's a turnaround for Marvel, but like what sticks out it's, Hey, Claremont's X-Men starts. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, this does take place, you know, chronologically later in protagonist Phil Sheldon's life. Um, it's Christmas. He's not working. 
Um, you know, as we remember from Marvels, he was a photographer who was capturing all of these amazing moments in Marvel history, but his daughters are older now and they're with him on this uh, night. Again, we're in Rockefeller center. The tree is all lit up. Um, and who's there, but our uncanny X-Men team. Now in this particular version, they are not going to run into blob and Unis and, you know, Santa well, they Claus. already did that. They yeah. already did that before that's the thing remember <laughs> marvels it's dancing between the raindrops so chronologically what must have happened is they do that actually mm-hmm. we know this they do that they do the christmas tree scene and then they uh transform into uh the sentinel fight yeah it's all squeezed right into this story that we're seeing here but there's this is basically an artist showcase for Alex Ross, you know, and I don't know how, how you feel about his artwork. I know we have talked about the X-Men issue of Marvels before. I think that, you know, sometimes what he does can be a little bit Thomas Kincaidy in just that it's a very traditional style of illustration that you might've seen in decades ago. Um, and that it's very shiny yes. and neat. However, I do think that it is an excellent way to visually represent these eras. And one of the best weaponized uses of his artwork was the Marvel's mini. And this ties in directly. I love looking at this. I think it's gorgeous. Here's the thing. I think we can give Alex Ross a lot of hard times for the fact that sometimes his pages are a little stiff. And sometimes all of his characters look like sweaty, overweight men. But (laughs) they do. Sure. That's just that's just true, and that's fine. But here's the thing: Alex Ross is still like a top tier comics guy because he puts a heck of a lot of effort into everything he does. Like, it's gorgeous. It's just you ask Alex Ross to do Alex Ross things. Don't ask Alex Ross to do non Alex Ross things. That's the yes. he's been doing it for thirty plus years now. Let him do his stuff, and it works here. You're like, listen, I gave crap to Kurt Busiek earlier in this episode because I ain't reading those Avengers. But as much as I kind of hate navel gazy comics about like, oh, weren't, weren't things better when the superheroes were superheroes and this nostalgia trip stuff. Adam, my dark secret is that I love Astro City. I think Astro City freaking rips from top to bottom. <laughs> I love Marvels. Like, I also... When Kurt Busiek does this one thing, it gets me every single time. Yeah. It gets me every time. And like, well, there's pages in this. That page, that page where Storm transforms. Mm, yeah. Throw it's in the knockout. towel, baby. It's yeah. done. It's an absolute knockout. It's an absolute knockout. And it also, you know, these big two page spreads that he's doing, um, you know, in these crowd scenes, give him an opportunity to, you know, it's, it's still dynamic. He's experimenting with, you know, his camera angles and looking up at the buildings. Everything is from a ground level, you know, and the, the epilogue Which is, is what Marvel's is right. And it's, it allows the Phil Sheldon character to sort of pass the torch to his kids because they're the ones taking the pictures in this particular scene when this Sentinel strike happens. Right. Right. So do we get a little, you know, a couple goofy cameos here? Absolutely. Uh, there's a, there's a Clark Kent and Lois Lane in here. We get a Chris. Okay, Clare. but to be fair, that was all in the the issue. Like, yes, that's in the X Men. Yes, he's faithfully reproducing it. Nick Fury is, you know, here as it was in the original issue, um, and then you know. We also get a, a nice cameo from Mr. Claremont himself looking up at the, what does he say? A hurricane, a freaking hurricane stories above Rockefeller center. And it's, it's just a nice nod, you know, it is. It's a good nod. Hey, I'm still stuck on Alex Ross. So excuse me for this for one second, but 19 or 2019 Alex Ross was like having a second Renaissance. Uh, cause this looks good and you see all of his covers for Immortal Hulk. Oh yeah, absolutely. Where he's like, where he said, actually, I'm going to still do my Alex Ross thing and you're still asking me to do it. I'm just going to move my focus from what classical artists I take my inspiration from here. 
and he yeah. kills it so yeah, he's good. like here i'm gonna do a hieronymus bosch cover for you uh let's see how that Jeez. turns out you know and even even so this good. last double page spread where he gets a chance to kind of recap recap all of marvels on two pages it's pretty astounding how much he's able to yeah. fit into this canvas so you know incredibly detailed uh great sense of light and and dynamism even if like you know it's it's still a tale about humans looking up at superheroes and it, it works really well it does um this is pretty good like, yeah i at the time i do remember i was mad that it was only a 14 page story and i paid uh, 4.99 for it but that doesn't matter now like yeah I, future baby i do recall buying this and um you know the the bulk of the issue is like you know, Alex Ross's sketches, interviews with him and Busiak. There's sort of a gap. By the way, his sketches and pencils also look very good. Yeah. Like if someone if someone did a more traditional, like inked style over Alex Ross, it would still look great. That's oh, the thing. His absolutely. fundamentals are Yeah, cool. absolutely. So I think this is a fun uh little this is like a Christmas ornament. You know, it's a beautiful thing to yes. look at in in you know the beautiful christmas lights and there's not a lot going on here but it is a nice beautiful keepsake of a memory that we all have of this great comic from years ago yeah that's about right this is this is pretty good where do you want to rank it this is tough because it is just you know a, a beautiful art object but it it doesn't really do that much new you know i'm sure the x-men issue of marvels is pretty high i would think right it's at 58 in the the return of the sentinels is at 37 this is below both of them i don't think this is a top 100 story um i don't think it's a top 100 however this is a top 200 story i mean like is this better than necrotia at 150 i mean kind of no no it's not better than necrotia i mean you don't think this is better than necrotia okay no because captain america why is necrotia above that time Magneto put Red Skull in all. Necrotia is kind of fun. <laughs> it's like Selena becomes a planet-sized goddess and like stomps around with dead people. It's kind of fun. Eh, eh, I. It's fine. It's fine. Here, uh, here's the problem with this: it is gorgeous, but it's just a cover. It's a cover song. So yes, you know, it's it's not really adding anything of substance. You know, beyond the Phil Sheldon like. You know, oh, those are them good old days, you know, like that's pretty much all that's here. So it's tough. Like if you go down to 179, we have the Santa Claus story we were talking about before. I think that that's more creative than this. Maybe. 188 is Wolverine Snicked. I'm going to give Wolverine Snicked the nod over this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Here's kind of where I'm at. Is this like this is I don't think this is worse than I don't I don't think this is worse than. Uh, the Uncanny Avengers uh, by Duggan, where they finally get rid of the Red Skull. Like, I think this is better than that. I, I mean, I'm fine. I'm kind of ambivalent about this because, like, it's it's one of those things where we're really just talking about these these beautiful pages. So, uh, where do you want to put it? Two hundred? I would. I would actually. I'm looking at this. I'm stuck. I kind of think cable blood and metal might be below this but blood and metal also has some pretty good art and i know you like it i'm never going to get away with uh that coup i think this is kind of on par with new mutant summer special though new mutant summer special has more to say uh, i do like this better than the uh marjorie lou uh sana takeda uh x23 touching darkness arc the one with vampire jubilee well, let's let's put it there then. This is going to be our new 200 Marvel's epilogue. And if you missed that when it came out, it is definitely something that you might want to add to your collection. It even just that one issue, it comes with a a thicker cardstock. It was just a, a really beautifully produced issue. Oh, I have never not read a digital, so I'll tell you. <laughs> well, uh this next issue was not as prestigious in its presentation um but for a while in the 90s you used to be able to get marvel holiday specials um this is one that we're going to talk about next our final request from santa claus is from 1994 
Yep, uh, and there are two X-Men related stories in here, so we're just going to rank them both at the same time, in the same place. Uh, this is the 94 special. Uh, the the stories that we aren't ranking, there's a Captain America story, a uh, Silver Surfer story, and a The Thing story. Uh, all of which are... Eh, they're fine. Uh, the Thing one, Adam, you pointed this out, and I think it's interesting to uh, interesting to just mention on the show. Yeah, well, I about the, the thing one. Yeah, the thing is encountering a young girl um, who's Jewish as part of the story, and is really, you know, talking to her about how the holiday spirit can involve, you know, all religions. And it struck me that, oh, the writer doesn't know that the thing is Jewish, and then you pointed out to me that canonically, the thing really wasn't Jewish until Mark Wade. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird. It's a weird thing that, like, yeah, the thing's Jewish. We all know this. And even in the past, like, there's a famous uh, holiday card that Jack Kirby drew uh, with the thing uh, wearing, I don't know what it's called. There's a yarmulke and then a shawl that I honestly don't know the name of, and I apologize for that. But Kirby was drawing him as Jewish. And also the thing was Jack Kirby. The thing was just Jack Kirby if he was a rock monster. Mm -hmm. So... We all kind of knew it, but it never came out in the comics in any explicit way until like the 2000s. So it's just, it's, it's interesting what gets canonized in fans' heads even today. Like the Mystique and Destiny stuff. <laughs> right. I, I forget. Were we talking about that? We were, we were, yeah. Like, we were. Yeah, when Hickman was like, oh, I did not uh, know that we were doing that. Yeah, uh, the, the people which didn't Which is fine. Know. I just thought we all knew. Right. Right. So it, it is interesting to look back on this. I, I think you mentioned the cap story also. It's like these holiday specials are so funny in a way because they are at one end, like trying to be a little bit sweet and, uh, you know, tell Christmas time stories, holiday stories, but like the cap stories about child trafficking, you know, or like that other one we talked about where, you know, our ghost rider, excuse me, is, is thinking, is mistaken for Santa Claus by a blind child. And it like those kind of things are just funny. Like you get a holiday special where the Punisher is throwing cars off of a bridge or something. And there's this level of violence and intensity to them. That's, that's kind of amusing. Um, the, the silver surfer story in here with Rickley and Artie art is, is very pretty. I'm not sure I quite understand what he, uh, what JM DeMattis is going for here seems to be some sort of like Holy spirit, uh, thing with like a four-armed lady returning to eternity, but okay, man, I'm not, I'm not reading that. <laughs> it, it was, I it just, was, I was very like, beautifully no, drawn. We're but, this one, yeah, but okay. So let's get to the stars of our shows. Which one do you want to start with? Uh, the Salvusima Night Before Christmas at the end. Yeah, let's just let's just say right at the end. There's a Carl Bowler's uh, Salvusima story that does was the night before Christmas, but with x-men yeah it's cute that's it you know it's cute that's that's pretty much uh well all i can say about it you know it sort of incorporates some x lore into the the lyrics of twas the night before christmas and it you know has some great uh sal busama art and a, a really cute one pager at the end of um you know you've got the x team with uh you know corsair and some who else is here lalandra is here it's fun, you know, but the it's not really a story. Yeah, so that's the thing. It's not really a story, but it's cute. It's fine. It's a, it's, a, it's a nice little, it's a nice little like a mint at the end of dinner. Yes, it's it's that's all it's meant to be. Now we were just talking about Kurt Busiek, and Busiek is the scribe of the catastrophe on Thirty Fourth Street, penciled by James Fry. Tell us a little bit about this one, Zach. Oh, uh, this is about how uh, Bobby and Hank remember a time when they uh, had to fight Matoxa the Lava Man and then have to help save Christmas with Matoxa, for Matoxa the Lava Man's family. Adam, you remember classic <laughs> X-Men character Matoxa the Lava Man, right? <laughs> well, even the editor's note notes that you probably don't remember this guy, this little lava monster who's basically abducting Santa Clauses. That's what he's doing. I'm not sure how. Adam. Yes. Do you know about Matoxo the Lava Man? It is the actual Matoxo story what's presented here. 
Okay, so I get to share this with you, and that brings me joy. Oh, good. I'm I'm very excited to learn. Teach me about this Cause, character. Because I've told you, sometimes I do not find Kurt Busiek's specific brand of navel-gazing uh, enjoyable. Yes. However, doing this in a holiday special to the incredible level of specificity that he is doing it, it goes over the threshold into actually, no, this is dope and good. And it's <laughs> it's great that you're taking a bit this far, Kurt Busiek. Uh, so, you have, of course, read X-Men 48 from the 60s. Right. This is hearkening back to a Silver Age story with uh, Hank and Bobby, correct? No, X-Men 48 does not feature Hank and Bobby. You, This is during the era where the X-Men were split up. Oh. Uh, this... This is Beware Computo, Commander of the Robot Hive. It is on our list, in fact. All right, cool. I never remember Silver Age stories. Please continue. No, because they're all bad. No one remembers them except for Kurt Busiek. Who loves uh, it's them? At, yeah, Kurt does love them. It's like, it's in the 400s on our list. Uh, so, mm. yeah, 467. It's good, but it's when the X-Men were split up in the, in the 60s, and it was a Cyclops and Jean Grey story. And at the end... At the end of that issue, it has a promo for the next issue that says, you know, beware Matoxo, the lava man. Oh, my God. Does not happen. That's amazing. Oh, okay. the issue never happens. They oh, switch to an Arnold Drake, uh, Don Heck, Werner Roth story. Uh, the, the first uh, Lorna Dane story, the pol- first player story starts there. Oh, that's fantastic. So this is... They never get around to Matox of the Lava Man, and it had to have been bothering Kurt Busiek for 30-some years. And and this is such a fun idea, too, because the idea is that back in the Silver Age, uh, Hank and Bobby taught Matoxo the Lava Man and his lava family, or I guess his, I guess he brought it's back... It's just Matoxo customs. at the time. Yeah. It's just Matoxo at the time. He brought back the customs of, you know, sort of, capitalist Christmas back to his, his people. He now in the present in the nineties has his own little lava family and they're starting to question the spirit of Christmas. So we actually get this point where Matoxo has come to New York to the abduct- lava man, Matoxo, the lava man, Matoxo, the, the lava man on his name to abduct mall Santa's for his children. And, uh, you know, Bobby and, and Hank are nice enough to go down into Matoxo the Lava Man's Lava Lair and pretend to be Santa and an elf and, you know, restore some Christmas spirit. It's it's pretty cool. Can I tell you one of my favorite bits about this? Yeah. Uh, when Beast and Bobby are like, how are we pulling this off? We're not even dressed as Santa. And Matoxo's like, oh, all you, all you uh, land people look the same to us lava monsters. We cannot <laughs> tell you apart. It's pretty great. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, the Matoxo Lava Man children do not care. Uh, Um, Matoxo the Lava Man's children are, as we know, uh, hold on, crap, now I have to get Matoxo the Lava Man's children's names. Why do I not have them handy at this very minute? Matoxo the Lava Man's children, as you know, are uh, Volcan and Magum. Yes, and his wife's name is The Lava Kids. Kratar, the the lava woman. Yes. So we also get, uh, you know, in this flashback scene, we get to go back to the cafe and go, go Bernard is there. Um, Zelda is there. All, all of your favorite, uh, silver age characters. I, I don't know if they're actually anyone's favorite, but Listen, uh, all I'm saying is if somebody wanted to, for some reason, do a comic book about the original X-Men, Hmm. And if they wanted to make it good, what I would posit is make it about the X-Men meeting, uh, going back to the Cafe Agogo, which I'm sure they've done before. I think the Cafe Agogo got turned into a sushi place at one point, but say they're bringing it back. It's fine. And have them be like, do the Archie rom-com thing with Bernard the Poet being there. It's always good. Every time Bernard the Poet shows up, I'm there for it. Everyone (laughs) loves Bernard the Poet. He's a terrific athlete. (laughs) 
I want to compliment James Fry's art here too, because it does a really great job of being a little bit nineties in the you know present tense and a lot of silver age when it goes back in time. So there, there's a switch in the art style between the two. That's pretty noticeable and it, it works really, really well. So I liked that quite a bit. Uh, Beast and Bobby, they're kind of curmudgeonly in this story, but I realize they're both on a, you know, they both had a difficult year in 1994. So, you know, I, I like that Kerbusiak's expressing that, Hey, this year's bad as someone who has had a rough time around Christmas, uh, and being busy before I can appreciate that sometimes you're not always in the spirit. <laughs> well, but it's not uh, about being in the spirit, Adam. It's about coming to the moment that is brought to you. I don't know. I'm not giving an inspirational speech. Just do Christmas, <laughs> y'all, or whatever whatever holidays you want. We celebrate Christmas, so celebrate Christmas. That's right, or whatever you want. But, I don't care. Yeah, still uh, long hair. Don't care. Still wondering why Krakoa doesn't have its own pagan holiday. Uh, it's strange to me uh, because they because they celebrate Christmas there because oh, they're know. almost all exclusively Western. I. Know. I uh, it's why Bobby shouts as they slide out of sight. Merry X-Men to all and to all a good night. So uh, See, we're great. ranking Thank this you for boy. <laughs> below everything else we ranked today. <laughs> but not that much farther below it. No, no. I think this is a fun, fun story. And if people haven't checked this one out, this, this is a weird one because it's not on Unlimited. And, you know, it's, it's probably not the most common thing you're going to find at, uh, in, in the long boxes. So might be a little bit harder to track this one down if, you know, you don't know where to look on the interwebs. So if you got to figure out how to get comics, I can't help you. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Y'all, it's very simple. We don't have to explain it to you on how you can do that. Hey. Hey. This is this is worse than yeah. Uncanny X-Men 230 Twas the Night Before. Which is at, where are you? Four or 243. Oh, I'm much lower than this. Didn't we say we're putting this below Dark Web X-Men at 357? Yes, we did, which I definitely remembered where we put that one. <laughs> That's okay. That's all right. I'm just working my way down the list, and I'm curious if this is still a 300 story or if we're getting into the 400s. I would keep it in the 300s. Like, I think this is probably worse than Marvel Team of 100. Yep, I would agree. think it's better than oh actually no i know it's better than soul possessions from x-men 31 and 32 yeah uh, that's a common story yeah so above that is the necrotia arc of new mutants and above that is the issues after bishop's crossing so at 377 we have rogue joining the x-men and i don't think this is as good as that but i do think it's probably better than those will sportachio issues of uncanny Great, because I was Bishop's I was just going to assume that you were going to go for your boy, uh, no, at all times. This, this is a this is a fun uh, this is a fun story. People should check this one out. It's it's really cute. Really, really should. It's three seventy eight now, y'all. Great, and uh, Santa, I I hope you liked our episode because those were your three stories, folks. We're running desperately out of Christmas stories. <laughs> We've been doing this podcast for too long. There are uh, still more, but um, we may have covered the good ones at this point. I don't know. Oh, we, you know what? Who's to say? Who's to say? Who's to this say? Is the, this is the exciting thing about our show. You just never know what's going to happen. So, What are uh, we going to categorize as a Christmas story in the future? <laughs> Maybe we'll be like, well, this made a diehard joke, so that's a Christmas story, which is dumb and stupid. Here's the thing about Christmas movies. I've actually taken a hard stance on this at a certain point christmas christmas movies have a vibe idiots mm. if the movies don't have the christmas vibe it doesn't matter if christmas is a setting in the story it's all about the vibe and i wow. like die hard i know die hard i'm friends with die hard die hard doesn't have that vibe die hard has a completely different vibe wait, wait zach are you trying to say that die hard's not a christmas movie that is a I'm bold absolute, stance 
I'm absolutely saying that, and if anyone wants to argue with me, I'd say, would you watch it with your grandma on Christmas? And yeah, absolutely. Yes, I'd say, I mean, she's say, dead, but, you know, I would, you know. I'd say that's a If you want to know choice. the real the real way to determine whether a Christmas movie is a Christmas movie, all you have to do is go back to my article on Comics XF, which presents the foolproof rubric to discovering whether a Christmas movie is or isn't a Christmas movie. And um, you you will be able to see for yourself that Die Hard is 100% a Christmas movie. So, um, Adam, as your as your friend and editor in chief emeritus, I think that's my <laughs> title. I don't know. Me and Dan, me and Dan worked something out. I think I've got emeritus in my name somewhere. Oh sure, yeah. There's emeritus somewhere. That doesn't as mean you can't be time, wrong about Die Hard. As at the time, the editor in chief, I can assure you, I didn't read that and I forgot it existed. <laughs> Oh, you should check it out. There it was basically so many articles. I did not read everything. It was there it were was, too many. It was when uh Spider-Man uh what was that? What was the last Spider-Man with Tom Holland? It was it was that movie. When oh, that the bat Is that Are people saying that's a Christmas movie? No, I determined that it wasn't, but it does end at Christmas, so there was some there was some conversation about whether it was a Christmas movie, which is what my article is about. So go read it. Anyway, hey Two things on that. Two things on that. I have to. I have to. I have to. Yeah, please. One. Yeah. Obviously not a Christmas movie. No. Two. Not a movie that we should talk about because it's not good either. You you keep telling me that. I don't. I haven't revisited it, so I don't remember. I'm not. It's, I don't want to argue about that movie. I don't care. <laughs> I care so little about that movie, but I remember watching it and be like, "Well, this is." They're really patting themselves on the back for this one, aren't they? Well, it didn't um, last it long. Sucks. Uh, didn't it? I honestly have no idea what the future of the Spider-Man film franchise is, except for... It, just keep giving wait, me those animated ones. Those are great. Those are great. Perfect. But instead, do you know what they're going to give you, Adam? Uh, bad X-Men movies? No, they're going to give you Madam Web and Craven the Hunter. Oh. Real movies that people are telling me do exist. 2024. It's going to be a wild one. <laughs> and folks, that is when we are going to see you next because we are taking a week off. So um, I just want to take a moment and thank people. I know that there have been weeks that we've taken off over the course of 2023 and just our lives have kind of gotten in the way. Um, and so we just want to thank our listeners for being cool and still tuning in because it sounds like a lot of you are. So we appreciate that. Thanks for being chill. Yeah. All y'all. Thank you. Um, I, I have become more of a lonely curmudgeon in my, in my age. Uh, but I will say that I love doing this podcast. I love that there are people who are excited to listen to this podcast every week and we're going to keep doing it until we stop. <laughs> oh man. So, um, folks, you can always follow me on social Adam rec on blue sky and Instagram, Arthur Stacy on Twitter. And, uh, when we do return in 2024, Zach, what are we talking about? Uh, we're, we've run out of X-Men stories. So we're doing a captain Britain one. Wow. We are doing a captain Britain one. Jeez. Is anyone here ready for some Alan Moore discourse in what <laughs> I promise will be a hot take? Unless, when I reread this, I reinvent my hot take. You know me, I'm full of Alan Moore hot takes. Let's go. I, I mean, my Alan Moore hot take is... Save it! Some of his... Save it! Save it for the pod. Really... Are we going to talk about Alan Moore's uh, collection of short stories, Illuminations? Because... We can. We can. Why not? It's okay. a new year. We... You can do whatever you want. We... It's, it's been a bit since I've read it. Essentially, I'd just say uneven. But <laughs> it's fine. I read other books now. It turns out Alan Moore really good at writing comics, like baseline on regular regular books. Regardless, oh folks, this will be a fun one. Uh, this has been Valley Adam. That's the name of our show, Adam. Mm-hmm. That's what I heard. That's what I heard. This has been Valley Adam. We hope you survived the experience. Get it.